HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. We basically get the good things for public health from within the European Union, the fruit, the vegetables, and we export death. We export alcohol, biscuits, and highly processed foods, which the rest of the world does not really need. Last week on January 31st, the United Kingdom officially withdrew from the European Union. As Britain leaps into the unknown, it leaves its population in anxious anticipation of the nation's future. At first, this seismic shift in global politics may feel abstract. After all, most Britons resumed their usual routines on February 1st. But, slowly, citizens will see the consequences of Brexit. And in all likelihood, food will be the first place that people will begin to notice changes. In this episode, we're taking a look at the ways in which Brexit is shifting what the UK will eat and drink in the future. I'm Hannah Forden, one of the show's producers stepping in as host this week. And this is Meat and Three. Meat and Three. Meat and Three. Meat and Three. One meat, three sides. Food, news, and storytelling. A square meal for your ears. Meat and Three. We turn now to Ruby Walsh, who reported this story for us. In 2016, the polarizing vote to lead the European Union threw the United Kingdom into a period of political turmoil. For most Brits, however, daily life barely changed. But last week, the UK formally withdrew from the EU, which has left people to wonder, how will this affect my life, my work, my food? Journalists have predicted everything, from price jumps on fruit to shortages of champagne. When I sat down to discuss Brexit with Tim Lang, professor of food policy at City University of London, I asked him, will British citizens be seeing changes on the shelves of their local supermarket? Right now, on February the 1st, nothing. Because, you know, there's great hoo-ha among some quarters, this is Brexit. It isn't, actually. It's just the end of the beginning of a, a deal, now the beginnings of the negotiation. January 31st was called Brexit Day in the media, but that's slightly misleading. The day actually marked the beginning of a transition period, during which trade negotiations will be made. So it's unlikely that Spanish ham or Bavarian bratwurst will become scarce in shops, at least not in the coming months. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the UK's exit will be painless. And the government is showing how 
actually, they've not had to negotiate serious big trade deals for at least 45, actually 50 years, and they're completely out of their depth. It takes years to hammer out the minutiae and detail of something like uh, what standards do you apply to a frozen chicken or a tin of tomatoes or how many checks do you have to see that something's safe before it's sold to the public who think food is safe, otherwise it wouldn't be for sale. Those sort of things are enormously complicated trade negotiation issues. It remains to be seen how trade negotiations will play out. According to food policy consultant Gavin Wren, it is British agricultural producers, not consumers, who will face the immediate consequences of Brexit. The food business in the UK seems quite comfortable with the idea of Brexit because it's probably going to open up who they can trade with. It's going to give more variety. At the moment, we can trade with the EU, but there are restrictions. Obviously, we can't trade in a lot of foods from the US. But when it comes to, say, actually producers within the UK, agricultural producers, they're a bit more nervous because there's the potential for uh, food standards to be lowered. Previously, the UK's food system was regulated by the EU's strict standards. Farming methods that are widely practiced in the States are considered below par in the UK. For one, Britain doesn't have the large-scale animal feeding operations that are ubiquitous in America, and it prohibits producers from selling genetically modified foods. Lowering food standards would allow more U.S. produce into the UK, which, Professor Lang informed me, the British have a strong aversion to. And if you're not getting your food from the European Union, where Britain gets 30% directly, well, where are you going to get it from? So as I put very succinctly, bye-bye fresh peaches from Italy, hello tinned peaches from Florida. Bye-bye fresh oranges, hello tinned oranges. Bye-bye free-range beef, hello hormone-injected beef. This is why now it's one of the only issues which got through to the British public in a serious way. They saw it and it comes up time and time again in focus groups. They don't want CAFO meat. They don't want chicken washed in chlorinate. Chlorine-washed chicken, in particular, has come to represent everything that the British fear about food imported from the U.S., Despite the public's adamant protests against lowering food standards, the UK government has yet to take a firm stance on the issue. The government is already seesawing with uh, the chancellor, that's our minister in charge of finance, saying, you know, we're going to be deregulate and diverge. Uh, from the European uh, way and the Secretary of State for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs firstly being a bit wobbly and then saying, no, 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 we're going to stay with uh, European and high standards. No one's clear at all which way they're going to jump. Granted, there have been some steps taken to protect British producers. A recently introduced agriculture bill has been praised as an attempt to maintain high food standards post-Brexit. Yet even this legislation fails to address the issue of trade. It's interesting, there's a new agriculture bill that's just come out, and that's actually promoting higher accountability and standards from like an environmental perspective, from a soil health perspective. However, the expectation when it comes to Brexit is that food standards will actually be lowered. So there's a contrast there. You know, that brings in a lot more competition for UK producers. But at the same time, the government seems to be driving up certain standards in other areas. So I think at the end of the day, that then 
points towards producers getting squeezed in some respect. Politicians leading the Leave campaign promised that withdrawing from the EU would allow them to take back control of Britain. But according to Professor Lang, the UK could not function as a self-sufficient nation. At the moment, Britain has a huge trade gap in food. Twenty-four billion pounds more is spent on importing food than Britain exports. We basically get the good things for public health from within the European Union: the fruit, the vegetables, and we export death. We export alcohol, biscuits, and highly processed foods, which the rest of the world does not really need. Indeed, I speak now as a public health man. That's the last thing we want to see more of. Every year, for the last thirty years, the amount of food produced by Britain to feed itself has gone down. It's now about fifty percent. Here we've got the fifth richest economy in the world deciding to break away from where it gets its food. By attempting to free itself from the EU's restrictions, the UK has instead entangled itself in an even more complex web of trade relationships. more about the British food system, look out for Professor Tim Lang's book, Feeding Britain, Our Food Problems and How to Fix Them, due to hit shelves in March. To hear more from Gavin Wren, check out his website at www.brainfoodstudio.com. That's our show. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week for a Valentine's Day episode, where we delve into the dark side of sweets. Special thanks this week to Ruby Walsh for her reporting. Meet and Three is produced by Kat Johnson, Matt Patterson, Katie Mosman Wadler, Dylan Hoyer, and me, Hannah Forden. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was produced by Breakmaster Cylinder. Meet and Three is powered by Simplecast. Meet and Three is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio. And please stay in touch. Whether you have a story idea or you'd just like to say hey, write us at ideas at meetand3.nyc. That's all spelled out.